Well, good morning, family. It's really good to see you guys. Uh, most of you guys know that uh, my wife and I, we're, we're big introverts. And so uh, crowds tend to take, uh, uh, we burn a lot of energy to be around people that are in big crowds. We're like one-on-one, that's where we're home. And uh, But God is funny. He has a sense of humor because you guys know he gave us a daughter who's a huge extrovert. And crowds and people is where she feels at home. And so if you were to ask True, what would make this better? How could this get better? She would most likely say, eight more people. Eight more people would make this better. And you know what? I think when it comes to uh, worshiping the Lord, she's right. Eight more people makes this feel fuller, doesn't it, and better. And so just want to say thank you for being here to worship together, the Lord. Um, are you ready for the good news? Yes. Me too. So grab your Bibles, open them up, Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. Hopefully you brought your own Bible. Uh, Matthew 6, verse 9. And uh, we've been looking at, the, of course, the, uh, the uh, Sermon on the Mount, and we're kind of in this section where it's the center of the center of the center of the Sermon on the Mount. So we've been going up this mount with Jesus, and now we're at the peak. This is the high point of his sermon. It's a, the central, most important aspect of living and experiencing the eternal life, as John calls it, or the kingdom, as Matthew calls it, is to regularly practice prayer. You want to enter the kingdom, you want to experience that life, then we need to be praying constantly. That's the way. There is not another path for us to take than for us to become people of prayer. And so Jesus here is teaching us how to pray, and he's teaching us what we call the Lord's Prayer in three three big chunks. And of course, last week we looked at uh, that we need to be asking for heavenly longings. We need them shape of the desires of our heart. And today we're going to ask, uh, talk about asking for earthly provisions. Asking for earthly provisions. Please give your attention to the reading of God's word. Matthew 9 through 13. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Jesus, we're reminded that um, right before you gave this teaching, the Spirit led you into the wilderness, and you were tempted by Satan himself. And uh, you were hungry, and you said, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Father. Lord, we come hungry, more hungry than we actually realize, and you have bread. Please feed us. Please feed your lambs today, Jesus. It's in your sacred name we ask. Amen. So let's, let's start with some, some class participation, all right? By a show of hands, how many of you enjoy, you actually enjoy helping someone else that's, that's genuinely in need? You get a sense of some kind of like, that feels good to me. I like that. Keep your hand up, okay? You do, all right. Um, especially when you know you're making a difference, right? Okay, put your hand down. 
There's something really satisfying, is there not? Especially the older that we get. Maybe it's because we realize how hard it is to live life. There's something satisfying about helping someone else that has a genuine uh, need and being a, that you made their life a little bit better, even just for a little while. All right, so next question. How many of you enjoy, enjoy being in need? Show of hands. Nobody. Yeah, not so much. Okay, explain that contradiction to me. Explain that contradiction to me. You just answered one question and it brought joy, right? See, I kind of jammed you up there, didn't I? I want you to think about that contradiction. We know that when we accept help, someone else's assistance, we know that it will bring joy, it will bring some kind of measure of satisfaction to that person who is extending that help, not because they feel like they have to, they actually want to, and we know that, and yet we resist accepting help when it's offered. In fact, some of us, don't even ask, do we? We resist even asking. It's DIY culture, right? I'll do it myself. I'll do it myself. So there's something that is deep within our human nature that just dislikes being dependent on other people for getting through life. Even if it's just temporarily dependent on them. We just don't, we, we, we just, it's abrasive to us, isn't it? We're like allergic to that or something. We don't want to depend on others for our ride. I just work and get my own car or a motorcycle or whatever, right? We don't like depending on other people for a job, for wisdom or for food for the day or for a place to sleep for the night. We don't like depending on them, right? Now, now children don't have this problem, do they? They are completely fine depending on other people for their existence. They relish that. They kind of expect that. They've got no problem every single day. Think about this. Living like, I need you to help me. And we're talking about actual real needs though, right? Food, water, they're legitimate needs. And they don't have a problem living that way. But there's something that happens that when we become adults, we don't like that. The truth is, if we're being honest today, we all want to graduate, don't we, from being dependent on someone else. That is to us a place that we need to graduate from that and leave that behind, kind of like high school. I ain't going back there. I ain't going back there. As quick as possible, I don't want to depend on others. And one of the reasons I think is because we believe that independence is the path to freedom. It's the path to being self-reliant, self-sufficient, self-taught, especially for Americans. This is our road to the flourishing life. That's what we're taught, we're raised to believe. That You want to flourish? This is the way. This is the way. Now, the truth here is we should mature and we should rely less on our parents. Can all the parents say amen? Okay? We should. They're not supposed to be perpetually taking care of our earthly needs. We should acquire skills and we should acquire knowledge over the years of school and apprenticeship and this kind of a thing so that we will depend on other humans less and less. But the problem, and Jesus is pointing this out to us, the problem is that we extend that uh, wisdom in regard to other humans and we apply it to the Creator. Just, we're just going to put that right over on Him as well in this relationship as well. You know, we should just get to a point in our life where we don't actually need 
God. Except for the really, really, really big things that I just don't have the resources to handle after 15 different tries. And then I'll depend on God for that. Okay? We don't need to be dependent on God every day. Not, not every day. Not like for our daily provisions. We got that. I can go to Albertsons and get milk and bread. See what I'm doing there? Jesus corrects this view because remember, Jesus wants us to flourish. He's after your good and my good. And he corrects his view and he points us to his upside down kingdom. Regularly talking with God is central, central, not peripheral, central to living the flourishing life. Remember, we talked about that's what that word blessed means in the Greek, in the Beatitudes, it means flourishing, makarios. So here's the big idea today. In order for us to experience a vibrant, satisfying prayer life, we must accept that we're dependent on God for all, all provisions. If prayer is the way, then in order for us to experience a vibrant, satisfying prayer life, we must accept that we are dependent on God for all our provisions. And the quicker we come to that conclusion, the better it will be. And so Jesus... He pretty much here, I mean, he's saying stuff that he's going to, he's said all through the New Testament. It's just another way he's saying this. Jesus instructs us to be like little children. Little children. And we're supposed to regularly ask our Father to provide for all of our earthly and all of our spiritual needs. And so we're going to talk about each of those um, pieces in turn. Okay, so first, we need to ask our Father for daily earthly provisions. Okay, we need to ask our Father for daily earthly provisions. Meet me here in verse 11. It's here in the text. And he says, pray like this. Give us this day our daily bread. Our daily bread. Uh there are things that you and I need on an ongoing and regularly scheduled basis in order for us not only to survive, but for us to thrive as humans. We need some of these things. Like, we need a job in order to earn a paycheck, right? Be uh, but because we are each unique in our personalities and in our biology and our physical and mental capabilities, not any job will do, Right? Not just any job will do in a sustainable way. I mean, you can stand on your head for 30 days, but you, you can't live like that. Not everyone's supposed to work in the shipyard. Right? So we need a job, but we need a certain kind of job for, for, to be sustainable. Right? We, we need uh, shelter. We need lodging, but our housing needs, think about this, it varies. It varies depending on our stage in life. It varies depending on our geographical location. And so not just any housing is actually sustainable. Uh, I've been making the case here for months based on God's Word that Jesus has not come to make us less human, but rather to make us more full, fully human than we've ever been. You know, I grew up with this understanding of this particular verse that sounded something along the lines of this. 
Ask God for your daily bread, right? Ask God for the bare essentials that your body needs to sustain life one more day. That's what you're allowed to ask God for and nothing else, nothing more. Uh, you can ask God for a dry crust of bread and no more. And you can expect him to give you that dry crust of bread, right? You can ask him for a 10 foot by 20 foot room to keep the rain and the wind off of you but and shelter, but nothing more. You can ask him for bus fare to get you to the work, your job, or to the hospital for your checkup, but you can't ask him for your own vehicle. Anything else is a luxury, and that comes from your hard work and applying yourself, but you can't ask God for that. Now, my understanding uh, uh, at that time for daily bread was like this wartime ration mentality. We live in, it's a scarcity model. We live in a scarce world, not a, an abundant God. God will provide the bare minimum that I need to sustain life one more day. And what was underneath, over the years I realized what was underneath that understanding of Scripture was this. It was a belief, particular picture of God, which is what Jesus has been trying to show us. He shows us the Father, right? I've come to show you the Father. It was this idea, this picture of God, that God wants to diminish us to guarantee that we don't stray away from him too far. See, that's how, that's how he holds you fast. That's how he keeps you close. Maybe you didn't have that growing up, but maybe, maybe some of you can relate to that. And so he's going to keep you, he's going to kind of keep you down to keep you humble. You understand what I'm saying? That's how some congregations view their pastor. Keep him poor and we'll keep the pastor humble. Well, that's kind of the view of that God of this verse. That's a really insecure, narcissistic God, is it not? Amen. This is not the picture of God that Jesus points us to. And a matter, as a matter of fact, it's not the picture that the Old Testament paints of God either. Remember, Jesus says what? I didn't come to abolish the law, but what? To fill it full, to its fullness, right? Since the beginning, since the very beginning, God wants us to depend, to depend on Him, yes, but to depend on Him for our good, for our flourishing, for our security. That's why He wants, not because He needs that. You need that. I need that. <laughs> right? Let's, let's go. Exodus 16, verse 4 and 5. I'm just going to hit the main parts of this narrative. It's a long thing. But Exodus 16 is the wilderness wandering, and it's, it's, the, it's the manna from heaven scene. Okay? So, then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I'm about this God talking. Now, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you. That sounds very inefficient and wasteful, doesn't it? But God is not concerned about efficiency. I'm about to rain bread from heaven from you, and the people shall go out, and they will gather a day's portion every day. Does that phrasing sound familiar at all? Yeah. And here's why. That I may test them. I'm doing it this way for a purpose. That I may test them. Whether they will walk in my laws or not. On the sixth day when they prepare what they bring in, they're going to bring in twice as much as what they gather daily. Okay? Now let's skip on down to 16. Moses is now giving the message. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it each one of you as much as you can eat. How much are they supposed to gather? As much as you 
can't eat. That means until you're full and say, I can't have another bite. Just let that sink in. That's how much they're commanded. God's commandments sound a lot like blessings to me. Have you ever noticed that? That's why I can say in 1 John, and His commandments are not burdensome. They're blessings in the imperative. Anyway, as much as you can eat. And then he says, you shall take an omer. That's like a measuring, because we're going to measure this stuff out, I guess. You're going to take an omer according to the number of persons that each of you has in your tent or in your household. So the people of Israel did so. Okay, They gathered some more, some less. Some more, they gathered more bread, and some gathered less bread. But when they measured it with an omer, that's at that common standard, right? Whoever gathered much had nothing left over. Why? They ate all of it, right? And whoever gathered little, they had no lack. Do you know what that means? That doesn't mean they felt like cheated, they ate as much as they could eat. In fact, that's what it says next. Each of them gathered as much as they could eat. So some people needed more because of their household, so they got to gather more, and some people didn't need as much, and they gathered less. They weren't supposed to gather as much as the other group. But when you measured it all out, everyone was full. Everyone was satisfied. Everyone In a place where there's scarcity, they're experiencing abundance. Someone ought to say Amen. Listen, here's the point. When Jesus instructs us to pray like this, Lord, Father, give us our de- this day our daily bread, he's referring to this historical event. It's supposed to trigger this in your memory, in the people of Israel's mind. What was their, da- here's my question, was their daily bread a ration that they had to parcel out carefully? No. No. They ate till they were full. Daily bread, here's the point, daily bread was as much as they could eat, no matter who they were, whether they gathered more or whether they didn't need to gather as much. God provided in a way to make sure, to guarantee that his people were full and they no longer had need that day by the time the sun went down. And by the way, we also see in this text that full varied from household to household, right? Situation to situation, season of life to season of life, we might say, right? There wasn't like just some fair, flat rate. Fair, flat rate across the board. God doesn't seem to care about that. He doesn't care, seem to care about being equal. God cares about being just. And those aren't always the same thing. Sometimes they are, and sometimes they're not. Some families need more. Their families are bigger, or whatever. Some families need less. But God guaranteed that neither house had any lack. No one had any want. Lord is my shepherd, I have no lack. In both households, he guaranteed ate as much as they could eat. They didn't say, you know what? I wish I had another roll. Mm. My stomach's grumbling. No, no one said that. Guys, do you get this? Is this landing on you the way it's landed on me this week? 
as I was living this weekend in a house that was not my home, some other place, it's a totally different way of understanding dependence on God as the path to flourishing. Because it's a totally different picture of God. We need Jesus to show us the Father. Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Now, what he says in John 15? Come on. God does not want you and I to continually rely on Him for daily provisions in order to restrict our life, to diminish our life, to wither our life, but rather He wants us to depend every day on Him so that we're guaranteed to flourish. We're guaranteed to be satisfied. And we struggle and fight against that. See, unlike us, God has unlimited resources at His disposal and at His discretion day or night. Unlike us, God can control the sun, moon, economies, weather patterns, ravens, and yes, even the Federal Reserve. God's in control over all, over all that. Amen? God has provisions that we know not of. And He also has ways of getting those provisions to us that we can't even script out or imagine. Elijah in the wilderness, anyone? You know what Jesus says in Revelation? Ask Michael Drew. He'll tell you. But here's what Jesus says, right? What's he say in, 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 in Revelation? I have hidden manna that you know not of. Jesus got bread and provisions stored away that no one's going to spoil, and He's got a way to get it to you. So fear not, little flock. Amen? It's not hidden from His eyes. It's just hidden from your eyes. Okay? So what? Well, therefore, ask your Heavenly Father to supply all the things you need for the day. There's seven days in a week. And I was talking with my dad, uh, oh, it was about a week ago, and uh, my dad, <laughs> my dad, uh, my dad, <laughs> he has this like gas card membership thing, and it gives him like 10 cents a gallon off or 20 cents a gallon off, something, I, I don't know, 15 cents a gallon off, but he has to go like to like these like two gas stations in town, like it's, it's just a couple of places. If uh, he goes to these specific pumps, then he gets the discount, otherwise he doesn't. Okay. Well, he tells me last week uh, he was on empty uh, as his habit and driving around and against his will, he pulled into like a different gas station. It was like a shell or something like that. He's like, I do not want to pull into this gas station. And the reason was he was really annoyed because he knew he wasn't going to save any money on gas. He was going to have to pay full price. And I just toasted him. So he pulls into the pump, and gas is getting really expensive in the Midwest. He told me gas was up to $3.89 a gallon. And I, I know, I just wanted to hear you groan. And I said, oh, Dad, I really feel your pain. I'm so, so sorry, Dad. Uh, I'll go there and pay without a gas card <laughs> with a smile on my face. <laughs> but uh, again, some houses need more, some houses need less. See, it's everywhere we look, guys. It's relative. But he goes, I pull up to the, he goes, Chad, I pull up to the pump. He pushes, you know, you got the little uh, octane, you know, button with a little light LED light around it. He's like, so I push it, 
lowest grade, you know, I'm not paying a dime more, you know, than I need. Puts the hose in to the, you know, vehicle, squeezes the uh, handle, no gas comes out. So he pushes the button, octane, squeezes the handle again, no gas comes out. Three times, nothing. So at this point he says, look, I'll be honest, I got a little annoyed in a moment of frustration. He pushes the octane button, you know, you know how you do, like, pop, 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 like 10 times, you know. He said the screen goes blank. His eyebrows go up, and then all of a sudden it, the little LED numbers pop up, and it says $3.31 a gallon instead of $3.89. He went, whoa. And he goes, hmm, I wonder. And he pull, squeezes the handle, and gas comes flowing out. <laughs> he put it on lock, filled up. He couldn't have scripted that. He couldn't have scripted that. He thought what he needed was on the other side of town. He was annoyed that he had to go here. My dad laughed as he told me this story. Listen, just, just transparency here. I haven't heard my dad laugh in months. It's been rough, okay? I hadn't heard him laugh about anything in a long time. And I heard him laugh as he told me this story. I literally felt his joy like radiating through the phone. So listen, guys, here's what I'm getting at. Not only did he get gas in his car for a better price than he could have imagined or scripted, but his soul was flourishing. Like I could feel my dad becoming more human. Don't you know God knows what you need, when you need it, and how you need it? Isn't he a good God? Listen, listen, here's the, here's the point. Here's the punchline. Daily bread is all the things, it's all the things that we need to be fully human. To be fully human. God doesn't like give rations. He gives meals. Right? This is our God. Listen, daily bread is more than like cold ravioli out of a can. It may be that, but sometimes it's more than that. Sometimes we need meals with others. You know, with cloth napkins for once. And some laughing around the table makes us feel human. Daily bread is more than just having a job we slave at sometimes it's work that actually fits the way we are designed instead of like just goes against the way we're designed and grinds us into the dirt it's sustainable listen 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 brothers and sisters what do you need today what do you need today listen you don't even know the day just started you don't even know what you need for the day. You're probably aware of about two or three things that you know you need, but you don't even know what you need. But you know what? Your Father in Heaven knows what you need before you even ask Him. Isn't that what Jesus teaches? So regularly ask Him for all the things you need to live today, to live like a human to live like a human. Both the known and your unknown needs. Because you may need something you don't even know you need. 
And that's what he wants for you. Listen, listen. Please, don't try to be a grown-up with God. Okay? He's asking you, come in, be a child. It's the children that come into the kingdom. He said so. It's the children. It's the children. The grown-ups don't come in. Be a child, and He's going to be your loving Father. Isn't that great? So ask Him for your earthly needs every day, known and unknown. Ask Him for what you need. And you know what? He will grant them in keeping with His wisdom. Secondly, ask your Father for your daily spiritual provisions. We ask for our daily spiritual provisions. It's verse 13. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So, we got a little bit of work to do on this verse. This is like, what? (laughs) Uh, On the surface, this request for protection from spiritual battle or spiritual temptation and evil, it doesn't seem related to to the request about physical needs at first glance, right? But upon closer examination, these two are inextricably linked. And the physical and spiritual are always inextricably linked. Again, we go back to the wilderness wanderings of Israel. It's That's the backdrop for understanding this petition of prayer. God provided bountiful bread and, excuse me, bountiful bird for people in the desert. Like he made the first chicken sandwich right there in the desert. Bread and bird. And he also provided water from a rock. And he did it in response not to their praise, not in response to their thank yous, but in response to their grumbling. He said, I'll give you water from a rock. Listen, we're to ask God not to lead us into temptation. Well, that word there is ambiguous in the Greek. It could mean this, and you can make a case it could mean that. It's not clear, it's ambiguous. One, this one word in the Greek has actually a broad range of meaning that takes two different words in the English. It could mean test, and the same word could mean in a different context, grammatical context, it could mean temptation. So which is it? Don't lead us into a test or don't lead us into temptation. And different uh, people, different versions translated different ways because of the ambiguity. And that's actually a good thing. That's by design. The Bible is very clear in other places that God cannot tempt you and I to sin. He can't do that. There are things God can't do. He cannot tempt you and I to sin against Him. That is what the tempter does. And other verses of the Bible call Him that. In fact, Matthew chapter 4 calls Him that. Satan comes and he does tempt us. But God can't do that. But God can, God will, and God does test us. Okay? That is, uh, to test is that visibly reveals whether our uh, professed trust in him is either true faith or it's actually false faith. And a test will make that known. Okay? And the way God tests or the way God reveals our trust in him is true is through times of difficulty. Okay, a.k.a. when uh, uh, provisions are scarce. When our future is unknown or in question. Uh, when we're only allowed to see one day at a time. 
Try as we might, we're only allowed to see one day at a time. In other words, it's in those times when we must, we have to depend on God for our daily needs like little children. That That's when this comes about. Those are those opportunities or scenarios. Will And the question is, just like with Israel, will we become dependent on him or will we become DIY? Will we become independent from God? Let's go back to Deuteronomy 8, verse 2. Uh, 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 Moses is reflecting on what happened in Exodus. And you, I just want to show the work here. I want to show you where I'm getting this, okay? And you shall remember the whole way, not little pieces and parts, but he wants you to know the whole story. You will know the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these, how many years? Forty 40 years in the wilderness that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart. Why? So that God might know? No, God knows everything. So that you might really know and quit faking around about it. So that you might know and do something about it. Do something about it if you come up wanting. You can make the change. That you'll know what's really in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or you wouldn't. See, in the wilderness, God's people were tested, it says right here, with hunger and with thirst in order for them to learn something, to learn how to depend on God for their life. He's discipling them. He's not, he's not like punishing them. He's shaping them. He's discipling them. This is the way. This is the way of life. I'm your source of life, so depend on me. Depend on me. Rely on me. I'm going to help you do that, right? That was what the testing was teaching them. But it says that they would not be taught that lesson. I don't want that way. And so the testing changed. The testing revealed or it proved that their hearts refused to trust God who saves them and delivers them and provides for them. So let's go back to that the, the Exodus 16 uh, bread scene. You ready? Because these are connected. And so the people uh, of Israel said to, to, to them, that's Moses, Aaron, you know, the leaders, uh, would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by pots of meat and we ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this entire assembly with hunger. We know the motive of your heart and what you're really doing. Verse 8, Moses, this is how he replies. He can't even finish his sentence. That's how upset he is about this. And Moses says, look, when the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat and in the morning bread to your full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling that you grumble against him. It, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us. Your grumbling is against the Lord. They're not complaining about how hard life is. They're complaining about how evil God is. And there's a big difference. There's a big difference. Despite God's deliverance from the slavery in Egypt, despite his continual faith of fatherly provisions every day, and despite his gentle patience with grumbling people, they, they accuse God, who is wholly good, of being an evil God. The God who creates evil and makes evil on the earth. They may not even know they were doing it, but that's what they were doing, and that's not a small thing. God says, look, you're right. I am causing you to hunger. 
I did lead you into the wilderness to test you. You're absolutely right. But I'm doing that so that you'll learn for sure how reliable I am, how dependable I am, that you can trust me and I love you. That's why I'm doing this for your good and for your flourishing. They claim that God is causing them to hunger because he's wicked. And he really wants to murder them. He wants them to die. Two different pictures of God, amen? You see it? How you view God matters. So in other words, listen, and don't miss this. Their physical hunger and distress tempted them spiritually. They're inextricably linked. What happens on earth matters. What you do in our, what we do in our body matters. It caused, it tempted them to accuse God of being an evil God. It caused them, it tempted them to put God to the test. Prove it. Prove it. Right? To make God defend himself after he's already proven himself. Listen, listen. There's no other word for that. That is satanic. Okay? We need to call it by its right name. That is satanic. That is evil. Okay? And just to make sure that, that we're covering this clear, this isn't, this isn't just like, you know, my own opinion or whatever. Let's go to New Testament. Here's what the Apostle Paul said about that very historical event and the one that happened in Numbers with, this, with the serpents that bit people, right? 1 Corinthians 10, 9 through 13. He's going to interpret this for us. We've got to make clear scripture, interpret fuzzy scripture, okay? He says, we must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by servants. Wait a minute, I thought it was God they put to the test back in the Old Testament. He said it was Jesus. Whoa, Jesus is just everywhere, isn't he? He says that they put Christ to the test and we shouldn't do that. And some of them were destroyed by serpents and we shouldn't all, here's another scene, the one we read, the, the, the manna one. Nor grumble as some of them did and they were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction. God is, Exodus isn't just an illustration for us. You can preach didactically from Exodus. It is for instructing us on how to live this life of flourishing. He says, on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Now listen, he's changing from test to tempt. He's changing from test to tempt. Check this out. No temptation has overtaken you that which is not common to all men. But God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. Watch this. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able, you may be able to endure it. Listen, here's what he's saying. God will lead each one of you each one of us uh, into times of testing, into a wilderness where there is scarcity or pain or lack, he will lead us as our shepherd into those places and spaces in our life. He will lead us into those times. Why? you got to get this. So that we'll learn to depend on him. Why? Because he wants you to know he's dependable. He wants you to know that God is faithful. So that we'll see with our own eyes in the land of the living that God will show up even in the wilderness. He'll show up. He'll show off. He'll provide what we need. And he determines what we really need. 
But Paul is telling us, and Jesus is also telling us very creatively in the Lord's Prayer, this other truth. And in those same times, in those same moments when you recognize, I think I'm in a testing right now, in those same times, Satan will also come and take an opportunity. Okay? He'll slide in there. Satan also will show us up to tempt us. He says, ah, God's doing a testing to help you and purify you. I'm going to take that opportunity because he's, because he's not omnipotent. He didn't know. He just, oh, I just popped up. I want to take my opportunity to destroy that person. We got to know that. He's going to show up to tempt us to see that God is oppressive. He is unloving. He's ignoring what you're doing, ignoring your life, ignoring your prayers for help. And Satan tempts us to reject the way, what way? The way of relying on God, the way of depending on God, the way of faith. He comes and he says, he just kind of, it's just a little nudge, it's just a little mm, permission. Make your own bread. Just make your own bread. What are you waiting for bread? Ain't you hungry? Make your own bread. Build your own house. You tired of waiting on that permit? You tired of waiting for a vacancy? Make your own house. Make your own rules. Take care of yourself. Take care of yourself. Use your own power to get your own way in this world without relying on God. You tried it God's way. Don't you see it? You tried it. You gave it a good, solid college effort, man. And you know what? You're not listening. So you know what? Now it's your turn. Do it your way. And your conscience clean now? What is our solution during these spiritual onslaughts when God does lead us into a testing, but the tempter comes and he's tempting us at the same time and we can't discern which one is which? What's going on here? What's the solution? That's the question you should be asking for survival. It's a survival and a thriving question. And Paul tells us here, and because he's only saying what Jesus has been saying. Prayer. Prayer. Spiritual stuff. Paul says, you will not be tested beyond your ability. Which ability? What ability is he talking about? Have you ever asked that question? Which ability? All my abilities or just your ability to admit you're needy? Your ability to ask for help? That's one ability that never gets taken away from you. You always have that ability. You always have that ability. Even in your disability, you have that ability. Amen? Come on. In all your disability, you got that ability. I'm weak. I am needy. I'm hurting. Help. Okay? That is your way of escaping temptation. The temptation to accuse God of being evil, to accuse God of being untrustworthy, and that he just doesn't show up for the people that he loves. Here is our prayer when we see that we are in a time of testing. It sounds something like this. Not exactly, but it might sound something like this. Lord, do not let me be tested beyond what my faith can bear. Don't let me be tested beyond that breaking point of my faith. And I've prayed this. You, some of you have too. I say, Lord, bind me to you with chains right now. Tie me to the mast as I'm going through the storm because I'm going to want to wiggle free and I don't even trust myself. I don't even trust myself. So, so make me, have, help me have faith in you. Don't let me put you to the test. Don't let me put you on trial or falsely accuse you of doing wrong. Lord, come protect me from believing the lies of Satan. 
I need you to remind me of your past faithfulness and help me depend on you today. Just help me depend on you today. That's the way we pray. That's the way we pray. God has promised to make a way of escape so that you and I can endure Satan's temptations and not rely, uh, to not rely on God. And the church has known about this for hundreds and hundreds and thousands of years. I'm reading a book right now by one of the desert fathers, and he wrote a manual about this. And it's just verses about when Satan comes to attack. He wrote it in about 300 A.D. And it's stuff you'd see in like modern counseling books. It's really interesting. This is a real thing. Prayer is central. It's not the only thing, but I'm just saying in this area, it's pretty key. Third thing and final thing here we need to learn. Jesus is our way through the testing. There is a way, and Jesus is the way. He is the way through the testing. Right before Jesus teaches us this this prayer, he personally experiences something. And that's why he teaches us with such conviction, because he kind of had to do it. (laughs) Okay? Right? He's not teaching a lecture. He's teaching what he's lived up to this point in his life. Check this out. His wilderness experience, which... It's a throwback to the Exodus 16 and God's people who couldn't deal with that in the wilderness because he's God's people. He's son of God, right? That was his baptism. He's son of God. People of God. Okay, anyway. Matthew 4, verse 1 through 4. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit. Where? Into the wilderness. Where did God the Holy Spirit lead him? Into a time of testing. There's that ambiguous word, right? Temptation or testing. To be tempted by the devil. He was leather to be tested by God, but what happened when he got there? He was tempted by the devil. See? Now, verse 2. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. That's an understatement. 40 days of not eating food. Guys, like the fat on your organs is going away. Yes? Your hair might start falling out. Yes? You might start seeing things. Yes? Are you in the story? He didn't like glide through this. And the tempter came. Satan had to wait 40 days to even have a shot at conquering the Son of God. That's what a coward he is. He didn't tell up to the lawn, right? He was 40 days. You're nice and weak and hungry. And what's he say? This is right after his baptism and God showed up, his father showed him and said, it's my son and I love him, right? He says, if you're the son of God. See how subtle that is? If you're the son of God. I mean, I know your father said you're his son, but if you really are the son of God, then here, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. That's what that guy, that desert father I told you about. He calls it talking back. Jesus talks back. No, man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Father. The Holy Spirit leads Jesus into the wilderness for a time of testing. The question is, will Jesus depend on his heavenly Father right now for his needs, which are legitimate needs? He needs this. Or will he rely on himself? That's the question in this first attack. Jesus has no food at all for 40 days in the wilderness where there is no food. 
Satan takes the opportunity to come to tempt Christ to use his power to take care of his own life. He, Satan basically whispers, listen, you don't need to trust the Father anymore. You tried that. You did. You really tried that for the last 39 days. It's the 40th day. Where's your father? Are you sure you're his son? He ain't given you bread in 40 days? He ain't taking care of you in 40 days? You sure, you're, you sure he loves you? What good is it for you right now to continue to rely on this so-called father for all your needs? Don't you see, don't you see Jesus, what's happening? He's causing you to die in the wilderness. He brought you out here to kill you. You need to take care of yourself. You did good. You gave it a shot. But you need to take care of yourself. That's the way you're going to flourish. That's the way you're going to live. That's the way to a full belly and a happy heart, Jesus. Do you see how just, just, how just, ugh, wicked that is, guys? You feeling that? Yeah, you feel it because you felt that before. That's all the inner dialogue that's going on in your mind and my mind during these times. And Jesus responds, no, God's the source of my life, not bread. That's just the instrument. And it's important. He didn't say you either live by the word of God or you live by bread. And God's word superior. He said, no, you just don't do it alone. You live by bread, but God's a source. And if my father says he'll provide for me, then guess what? I believe my father will provide for me, though it doesn't look like he's providing for me in over a month. You see, the test from God in the wilderness that you could not pass, and I definitely could not pass, Jesus passes in his pl- in our place. Isn't that good news? The temptation from Satan that we could not uh, endure, Jesus endures for the glory of God in our place. Isn't that good news, guys? He was literally taken to his breaking point. And it says that he left to a more opportune time. When was that? That was the Garden of Gethsemane. We've already preached through that. Yet he continued to rely on his father for everything that he needed, even when it made no sense. It didn't make any sense. He had 40 days that went against that, right? He still trusted in his father for you, for you, for you. For me, Jesus truly suffered in the wilderness. I want you to know that. He didn't glide through that. That was a real test of his faith. He truly suffered in the wilderness. He truly was assaulted and attacked in the wilderness. Absolutely. He did battle with the devil by faith. By faith in God and by using the word of God. He didn't get into big, long talk, like diatribes and conversations. He just talked back, just talked back. One-liners. It was God's word. Not relying on his own resolve, not relying on a DIY, not relying on his past experience, not relying on his own power, but relying on the power of God. God's word is what he leaned on. And he leaned on it. He did. He was human in every way, like us, right? Except that he didn't sin. Listen, how, how do we ask for earthly provisions in our spiritual provisions every day? How do we do that? In the name of Jesus. That's how you do that. 
Not based on uh, 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 your, our character, not based on our track record of how faithful we've been to God in the past, which is sketchy at best. <laughs> not on our merits and what we deserve. Yeah, I know I did bad, but I went to church even on Memorial Day, God, so, you know, come on. Hell, but on Christ's merit, on what he did for you, I grumble. And he did that for me? Wow. When my physical needs are not being met, guess, I'm just being honest, I can't resist the temptation to accuse God. I can't. I have a day. I could do that maybe a day or two. Amen? Like everybody has a time period. And it's like, but at that point, I'm like, I'm breaking. I know me. <laughs> okay? I can't resist the temptation to accuse God of being wicked or unloving or oppressive. When my physical needs are not being met and Satan comes and he whispers in my ear, hey, rely on yourself, Chad, instead of your heavenly father. Like, where is he? I can't resist that in the moment. Can you? But there comes a point when we're like, you know, mm, mm. But Jesus can. Jesus can. Because Jesus has already resisted him in my place my deliverance not his he was willing to fast till he died for my deliverance any good so I call upon Jesus to do once again like a little child not like a full grown man I gotta ask you again dad I gotta ask you again, Father. I need you. Do what you've done again. Deliver me from agreeing with evil. Don't make agreements, guys. Don't make agreements with evil. And you say, help me not make agreement with that. Deliver me from relying on myself. I am weak, but thou art strong. Lend me your strength. Don't, don't say, Lord, help me be strong. Say, Lord, give me your strength because your strength is mightier than mine. Let me borrow your strength. And watch Jesus show up. Watch Jesus show up. I love you guys and Jesus loves you too. Let's pray. Jesus, oh, I feel you here today and I pray that you take these words and you would just... Bury them in our hearts like seeds on soft topsoil. And I ask that you would not let Satan come like a bird and pick them away. That's my ask today at this minute. And I pray, Lord, that where you and your kindness have revealed that our faith isn't true faith in you. Help us not feel guilty about that. Help us not feel ashamed. But help us thank you that we can make a course correction. Help us do something about that and say, Lord, I want genuine faith in you. I want to really trust you. And in your kindness, you found a place where I'm just, I just don't. Help us see you as kind. Help us see you as merciful and loving. And your arms are open. Give us this day our daily bread and lead us not into temptation, 
but deliver us from evil. Deliver us from putting you to the test. In Jesus' sacred name I pray, amen.